is God going to have with you today? And I'd like to make it a little bit more personal. What conversation is Jesus having with you today? Uh, he had a conversation with a, a woman in the Bible, and uh, the story is known as the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, a lot of times we, we get to know these stories, and I might say, you know, the woman caught in adultery, or, uh, you know, the, the 5,000 fed, or something like, well, this one is, is kind of titled, you know, the Samaritan woman at the well. But really, it's Jesus having a conversation with a woman. And we're talking about a series uh, we started last week called New Year, New You. But this is not a self-help series. This is a, really a no-self-help series. This is a, a series about trying to help us remember that we can't fix ourselves, but we can surrender ourselves to God. And God can fix us. He can heal us. In fact, He can reform us or refashion us in the way that He designed us to be. And the test of both testimonies that we heard today is exactly what this whole series is about. It's like we're, we're all a mess. We all have things that are out of order or twisted or wrong. We all have some thoughts and beliefs about ourselves or about the world that are off from what you would consider a, a godly, perfect way to think or view life. We all have that, okay? So it's not like, oh, this person over here really has problems. No, we all have problems, right? Okay, just can I make sure we're all on the same page here? Okay, so we're all in this together, and um, as I was preparing this message today, this morning, I just want, I just, it's kind of turning a little bit in my heart as God is leading this time together, and he wants to have a conversation with you. And Jesus is sitting at a well, and there's a woman who comes to this well. I'm going to read you the story. Um, it's in John chapter 4, and uh, he's, He's uh, on a journey from Jerusalem up to Galilee, which is where he spent most of his ministry time. He came down to uh, Jerusalem for the festivals, and he's making his way back up to the north where the Sea of Galilee is. And normally a Jew would go um, across the River Jordan into the Transjordan area, walk up past the region called Samaria, and then they would cross back over the river and continue the way up because they... They did not have a good view of the Samaritans. The Samaritans and the Jewish people were ancient relatives, if you will, cousins, if you want. Uh, and they had some big-time rifts going on. And so much so that the Jews felt like the Samaritans were unsavable. They were a mixed breed. Uh, they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, be near one because they would become unclean just being around them. They just, it was a real ethnic issue, Okay. We know all about that in our world today. It's all over the place. So they had that going on. And so Jesus, though, instead of doing what everybody else would do, just go straight up right through the middle of the ghetto. No, it wasn't really a ghetto, but you know what I'm saying. He went where he wasn't supposed to go. He's like, I, he, how many of you are glad that there is nobody that's unreachable to God? All right? Just because we have a view of somebody or a view of the world a certain way, God loves every single one of us. And uh, he is for every single one of us, knowing him. And so he goes right up through the gut of Samaria. And he's tired. So he sits down at a well in the middle of the day at noon. High noon, sun's beaming. And most people don't come to the well in the middle of the day because it's hot. And it's, it's really hot at high noon. And so most people would do all their water in the, in, uh, later at night when the sun would start to go down. But a woman comes to the well. And she is a Samaritan woman. And he has this conversation with her. 
So let me just read it to you, and then we'll talk about it, okay? And, uh, and when we talk about this, I want, you to, I want you to understand that this morning, Jesus wants to have a conversation with you. He's having a conversation with her, but he wants to have a conversation with you, okay? So open your heart to that. So Jesus is in this place. He's here. Uh, okay, so when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into the town to buy some food, so it was just Jesus, all by himself, just Jesus and this woman. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. Woman, how can you ask me for a drink? She knew the protocol here. This was like way out of bounds. And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What an amazing statement. And now she, her mind is just spinning. Like, what is he talking about? If I know, knew who this was, he would give me living water. So she says, sir, uh, you have nothing to draw with. <laughs> She's thinking all physical, right? What do you, you don't have a bucket, you don't have a rope in a bucket or a whatever, a pail, whatever you need. You have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? So she was at a very biblically famous position, at a place where Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob had dug this well. This is a very famous place on the, on the map in the Bible history. So she's saying, are you greater than our father Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he, he dug this well. How can you do this? And Jesus answered her. And really, this is the, the key verse that I want to ask you to meditate on this week and memorize. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst Whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Later, we understand that this means, Jesus is saying, that there is a Holy Spirit that can live inside of you. He is the living water. He's what these guys were talking about, that the Spirit comes alive in us, and that is our living water, and it satisfies our soul. So Jesus is talking something uh, much greater than the physical water. He's talking about a spiritual life that will satisfy our soul, that our soul can, can continue to drink of physical things around us. You know, we can, uh, if we love sports, we can watch a game, and it can be an amazing game, and then the game's over. And then what? We're thirsty again. And if we love food, we can have a great meal and we can eat and just be, oh, this is amazing. And then four, five, six hours later, we're hungry again, right? We can uh, love being with people or we can love to do a, a hobby or we can love to sleep in or whatever it is. And we do it and it's, oh, yeah, and then it's over and then it's time for more. We need more. And Jesus says, your soul is thirsty. And the water that I offer to you, the Holy Spirit, I offer to you, will quench that thirst, and you'll never thirst again. You won't be longing for more. You won't be wondering what's the point. You won't be wondering how to, you know what I'm saying? 
So that's what he's talking about here. So then he's having this conversation with this woman. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she wants it. She wants it. But she doesn't quite understand the whole package. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Now, if you haven't heard this story before, uh, what's about to be revealed is, is pretty, pretty amazing. So he says, go, call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, now he has a word of knowledge about this woman, that God gives him this word of knowledge. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now, that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said to me is quite true. And this is just, this is, this is amazing to me. So, um, before, I think I might stop there and just talk about the story. So let's talk about it. First of all, Jesus overcomes this ethnic uh, problem, right? He's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. Doesn't bother him. Uh, he overcomes a social, major social problem, which is a Jewish uh, man would, would never talk with a woman in public. You just don't do that. And he said, well, I'm going to do that because women are important to me too, right? Everyone. And so he overcomes this huge social barrier. She's like, what do you mean, me give you a drink? I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jew. I'm Samaritan. You're Jew. I'm a woman. You're a man. And Jesus overcomes those things, and he, he comes right to the heart of the matter with her, and then he overcomes a sin barrier. And I want, I want to communicate to you how God views us, because we don't always view ourselves the way that God views us, right? So we all know what our mistakes are. We know our failures, and we are not proud of them. And so we view ourselves through our failure. Oftentimes, like I was talking about last week, we identify ourselves with our sin, with our failures, uh, you know, with our problems, with our upbringing, with the labels, you know, that other people have given us or that we've been, we've kind of given ourselves through life. And we identify with our failures. You guys with me? And Jesus is looking at her and he says, go get your husband. Now, he already knows, he already knows her. Oh, I don't have a husband. Well, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You're, you're being honest with me. But you have had five, and you're with a man, and you're not married with him. And, and what he's saying to her is, I have something that you're craving. You're looking for something. Do you see the cycle in your life? That's the only, he's not like, oh, you're a sinner. I don't feel that in this story at all. I feel like he's saying, okay, do you see in your life that we have a cycle of, of hurt or disappointment or longings unfulfilled? And he's bringing out her situation, not to make her feel guilty, but to show her he has something for her that she's been searching for her whole life. For her in particular, her cycle of pain was somewhat maybe looking for love or acceptance in men, right? I mean, that's obvious. And to see a disappointment, to not have it work again, to not have it work. Now, 
The implication of the scripture is that these men didn't just die and she was remarried. The implication, I believe, of the story is that, you know, she was getting divorced and she was looking for another man and looking for another man, okay? Uh, but it doesn't say that technically, so I don't want to be a, a bad teacher. I'm trying to tell you what my interpretation is. I believe the implication is that she's searching for love. And she hasn't found it. She's disappointed. And there's an ache in her heart. We don't know her backstory. We don't know what her family life was growing up. We don't know, you know, the influences that she had or the pain in her life when she was little growing up. But somewhere along the line, she came to a point where she was looking for love and acceptance. And she was desperate for that. You guys with me? And I don't know what your life is. I don't know all of your backstory but Jesus does, okay? So what conversation is he having with you today? He comes to us. He's coming to you today, right now, in your story. He doesn't care about the symptom of your sin. He doesn't care about the fact that she's been married five times and she's living with a man right now. She's not married to him. That's not his focus at all. Isn't this awesome? God's not focused on your failure. He's focused on your wholeness. He loves you. Now, is sin wrong? Yes, of course. Why? Because it's missing the mark. And so, but God isn't focused on your sin. He paid for your sin. He paid for my sin and your sin to rescue you and me out of it, to give us life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The, the question is, are you wanting that water he's offering you? She said, give me this water. I'll take it. Give me this water. And then, then Jesus goes to the heart of the issue with her. Okay, I'll give it to you. Have you recognized you've been married five times? You know? and, and the guy you're with, he's still not going to be the answer that you're looking for. It's going to be me. It's going to be me. Let me pick up the story. I wish I wouldn't have lost my spot. Oh, hey, there it is. Pretty close. Um, let me just finish the story, and we'll talk a little bit more about it. But I want you to be listening to what God is saying to you. So um, Jesus says, uh, she says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she is diverting the conversation away from her to a religious issue. And uh, Jesus says, well, believe me, uh, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Wow. So basically, what she did is she left her pail or bucket. She went back to town, and she told everybody in town, 
you won't believe who I just met. I just met someone who knew everything about me. And she's not talking about this. She's talking about this. I just tasted something. You guys have got to come out and meet this guy. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the promised one? And the whole, I mean, it says like almost the whole town comes out to the well to meet Jesus. Her life was totally changed, radically changed, because she began to taste and see that the Lord is good and her soul was satisfied. So, you know, in this series, when we're talking about uh, a new year, a new you, we're not talking about, hey, it's time to break that old habit. It's time to re recommit yourself to this. We're talking about letting us have a vulnerable, real conversation with God and letting him speak to our hearts about the stuff that we've been living with for a long time. Uh, it's an amazing thing that what neurologists and research has discovered about the human brain. And I, I don't know if you've heard this before, but 95% um, of the way that we make decisions and we act and react and respond in life and how we see things, how we react and how we behave, 95% of, of your life is run by your subconscious mind. 95% of your decisions. You may uh, see something and your subconscious uh, already is programmed to know how to handle that information and what you're supposed to do and you just do it. You just do it automatically. 95% of your behaviors, your decisions, your actions, reactions are already happening without you even making a new decision to do something. It's just the way you do it. It's almost like, you know, that, that reflex reaction. And they say that that happens or your subconscious is formed between the age of birth and six years old. So I'm not a psychologist, but... I have, uh, I have a lot of, uh, I, I have a lot of evidence that those, those, uh, th that research is pretty accurate, just from me, my own life, and talking with a whole lot of people when they have problems, and we always, we always find out that there's these patterns in our lives. I call them cycles, cycles of problems that repeat themselves in our lives. And most of us just think that's who I am. Last week, we talked about the importance of our identity. And our identity needs to be formed in Christ. We have a new identity. We, the old is gone, as Megan was sharing her verse for the year in Isaiah. The old is gone, and all things are new. But not everything's new instantly. And so we have to learn how to not identify any longer as a sinner but we need to identify as like one of the songs we sang this morning, I am a child of God. I'm actually loved. I'm actually taken care of. Maybe I wasn't taken care of as a child. Maybe I wasn't nurtured as a child. Maybe I wasn't believed in as a child. Maybe my parents didn't pump me up, pour love into me, and, and provide for me. Maybe they rejected me. Maybe they left me, abandoned me. Maybe I don't even know my mom and dad, okay? So if that happened to you, if that's your story, then you have 
some reprogramming to do. Because that's, that, that while that happened in the natural, there's a higher truth that you are loved by God. You're not rejected by God. And God has been with you your whole life. And so we have these natural truths, but there's higher spiritual truths that we need to just simply agree with and change our mind. When Jesus came, the message that he preached uh, said he began to go from village to village and he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. And repent means change your mind, things are new now. You're no longer going to be stuck in this pattern of destruction. You no longer have to be slave to sin or depression or loneliness or purposelessness. You no longer have to be married five, six times to find love because it's a whole new day. The kingdom of God has come. And I have come, right, to set you free. And whoever embraces my truths holds on to these teachings, puts them into practice. They will know my truth, and the truth will set them free. Will change, it will change your life. That was the message Jesus came and he gave. It wasn't just, hey, guys, um, you know, say this prayer, and I'll see you in heaven someday, okay? It wasn't just that. Most of his message was today, change your mind. It'll change your life. Trust in me, believe in me, follow me, take my words, embrace them. It'll change your life, set you free. It'll set you free. And so the, the whole, uh, you know, struggle is to change our mind and stop believing this and believing I am now new in Christ. I am now loved in Christ. What's your story? This woman's story, uh, Jesus just, he always would do that. He would always go right into the, right down deep inside, and he'd pull it out and show people. Uh, I remember the story of that rich young ruler came to him said, teacher, rabbi, what must I do to, to you know, please God, to do the works of God? She said, just, and he, Jesus knew where he was coming from. He's, he's, he's like, okay, he's going to reach in there. He says, well, just obey the command. Oh, I've obeyed all the commands. I've obeyed all the commands. And he says, well, then uh, take your money. And give it away to the poor and come and follow me. And the first command is you'll have no other gods before you. In other words, you won't love any idols. You won't love anything else more than God. And so Jesus, I mean, the guy's like, oh, I've obeyed all those commands. He goes, okay, how about the first one? Let's start with the first one. How about money? Will you give all your money up and just follow me and trust in me? Uh can't do that. Can't do that. So Jesus, Jesus wants to have a conversation with you, not to make you feel bad, but to set you free from any cycles of hurt, pain, depression, loneliness, rejection that you have experienced. Now, and I'll tell you what, if every one of us could, could uh, have therapy here together in front of each other, we would all hear each other's stories and we would all be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes total sense why you've been doing that, right? Because we do what we do for a reason. Now, just because we can say, yeah, I understand why you do that. I understand why you blow up now. Or I understand why you keep people at arm's length. Or I understand why you're depressed. I, oh, I get it, yeah. Just knowing that, that's not, that doesn't, that's not enough. 
That's not enough, right? Jesus wants to help you actually be free from that. So you may know that, but Jesus wants to offer you the same thing he offered the Samaritan woman and the same thing he's offering every one of us, and that is living water for our souls. And it is a process. Years ago, I went through a process that Celebrate Recovery is offering to us today, and it changed my life. It broke some cycles in my life. And, and uh, Megan, uh, you know, I was in this, well, I, I knew I was messed up. She didn't know she was messed up. So, but anyway, just kidding. But, you know, the idea is there were things I didn't know that I didn't know. And we, I, I just took time because my soul was aching. Have you ever had a stomach ache? Uh, I had a couple stomach aches in the last couple weeks because we had so much sugar, chocolate, cake, you know, candy, all that stuff. So, you know, get a stomach ache. Take a Mountain Dew, throw in a whole bunch of caramel M&Ms and some Reese's cups and some homemade cookies and some caramel corn, and you get a stomach ache, okay? So I get a stomach ache. And when I get a stomach ache, I know something's wrong with my stomach. And I know that there's something I'm going to have to deal with. <laughs> okay? Now, in life, we have soul ache. We can have a soul ache. We can, we can just be hurting. We can be lonely. We can feel rejected. We can be ticked off. We can be really angry. We can be bitter about something. We can feel unjustly treated. We can feel unwanted or left out or discouraged. And, and you know, just like me, we know what that feels like. It's just something on the inside, and it just hurts. We just hurt. It's not good. And, and so when we have a soul ache, I want to help you understand this. When we have a soul ache, um, that's, what is the solution to a soul ache? The solution to a soul ache is the love of God, is returning to God. It is. I remember a story uh, of David. He was, his wor- one of his worst days was him and a, uh, his, his group of men went on an uh, army uh, you know, raid or something to help defend somebody else. And when they came back, they had found that they, their wives, their kids, all of their possessions, all their animals had been taken by another army. Everybody had gone. Their, their families were gone, everything. And David's men turned to him, and at first they're all crying. They're just heartbroken, and then they turn on him, and they want to kill him. They're just so mad, so angry. And the Bible says David turned to the Lord. He turned to the Lord. When everything was falling apart, he turned to God, says he found strength in the Lord, and he asked God, God, what do I do? God said, go get them. Go get them back. So he rallied his troops and said, we're going to get them. And God gave them all back, restored everything. But his soul was hurting. Sometimes when our soul hurts, we do destructive things. We don't turn to the Lord, right? Sometimes we 
we, we take that anger and we tell everybody about it. Sometimes we take that depression and we try to drink it away. Um, you know, we, we have all kinds of different things that we do. What is the solution to our soul ache? It's always come. Come to Jesus. It's always come to the love of God. Come to the Lord. Return to Him. And, and that's what I want to share with you in this series is that, that that is the ultimate solution. But God has gifted us with tools to help us in this process because it's not, it's not an easy snap your finger saying, it can, can happen like that, right? God can do anything. And He, and he does miracles. He does instantaneous things and He also uses processes. And so whatever God wants to do in your life, I'm all for it. But I know that he wants to do something new. He wants to heal you. He wants to set you free. He wants you to have more life and more of him. And he wants you to rely on his love. No other love, no other source. He wants you to rely totally on him. And so I, I just really want to encourage you that part of that process, as far as I, I've, I've seen, is other people and God's word and these wonderful tools and programs that God has blessed us with, like Celebrate Recovery, life groups, getting together with other people. And that's, that's what we need uh, to be successful and to grow. There's always hope in Christ, right? And for us to experience that change, and Jesus said it, repent, change your mind, change your mind. The kingdom of heaven has come. There's a new ruler in town. The ruler used to be the prince of this world, Satan. But the Son of God has come, and he is now judged. And sin is now broken. And it is a new dawn. It is a new day. And the kingdom of heaven has come. The rule of God has shown up. And so no longer should we allow the kingdom of darkness rule in our heart. We have to cross over and give it to God. Let the kingdom of heaven come and rule in your, in your heart and in your life. I, I have, um, I did a little bit of studying on some different things just to give you an idea. Again, what conversation is Jesus having with you? If you grew up, for example, in a home with narcissistic parents, you know, parents that were totally in themselves, totally self-centered uh, and manipulated uh, you and everybody else so that they would always get what they wanted. If that's you, then um, some of the common struggles that children have in that setting is when they grow up, they have people-pleasing tendencies. Or they suffer from persistent sense of self-doubt. They feel guilty or shame or fear about succeeding or being in the spotlight. So oftentimes... They will self-sabotage their success. They have insecure or anxious attachment styles and often end up in abusive relationships. They feel defective and worthless. Now, this is just a subset of some people's story, okay? But these are the things that they contend with because from birth to six years old and even in their early teens, they're being shown patterns of behavior. They're being treated certain ways. Right? They're being rewarded sometimes for the wrong things and punished for the right things at times. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, to ignore that 
and just think that uh, none of that has any impact on us is, is, is to not really see that, that there is change possible. What I see is a lot of people trying to ignore this, but the evidence is here, and they say things like this. That's just who I am. That's just who I am. In other words, what they're saying is, we're not going to go there. I'm not going to change. This is who I am. How dare you? How dare you? Try to say that who I am isn't, isn't good enough. Well, nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that. Any area of your life or your thinking that is not in alignment with God is not helping you. It's hurting you. And it's hurting people around you. And Jesus has life for you. And here's the problem. We, most of the time, don't take the time to filter our life through God's truth. We don't even know. Now, sin, to me, I often joke about, but it's pretty, I, I like it. It's a pretty accurate definition, in my opinion, at least, is that sin is temporary insanity. Okay? It's temporary insanity. That's because there's things that I know that I just, I just insanely decide to forget or ignore, and I'm crazy because I know better. But there's other parts of my life, uh, and uh, more so earlier on in my life, where the sin was ignorance. It was flat-out ignorance. Didn't even know that there was an alternative. Didn't even know. Why? I didn't know. And that, that's not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss when it comes to God's plan for your life. To be ignorant of who you really are, who you're created to be, that's not good. It doesn't, it doesn't relieve you of responsibility or stress or pressure. No, no, no. It relieves you of being set free. It keeps us stuck. Do You see, so, uh, so what we need to do is have God help us filter our life through his truth and say, oh, that was just a mom or a dad. Now, I'm not blaming moms and dads, you know, or bad people. We've all screwed up, and we've all screwed each other up, okay? So are you going to play the victim the rest of your life? Or are you going to find out who God says you are, and in spite of whatever anybody else did, you're going to become who God made you to become? You know, so it's not blaming anybody and being a victim. I'm not saying that at all. But it is a perspective that you can see and like, oh, well, they might not have treated me, um, you know, the way that I am in God's eyes. But that's their business. That's their pain. That's their hurt. But it's not going to stick to me because I know who I am. You see? Or I'm learning who I am. Oh, I mean, I am valuable. Wow. I am worthy. Not worthy in a self-pride thing, but worthy of God's love. And God does want to make something special of my life. He does care about me. He has noticed me. He has been with me this whole time. And he will help me. And he's on my side. And he's not holding back from me. And I am blessed. And every time you make a change, okay, in how you view your life and your world, and you align it not with self-help ideas, but with God's truth about who you really are. When you let that happen inside, you are reprogramming the 95% of your subconscious. You're reprogramming yourself. 
That's what's so brilliant about God and his word. It's amazing. That's why he gave this to us, so that we could actually pull this one out, pull the circuit out of that, or whatever, the cable out of that one, and replug it in over here, and retrain ourselves to a higher truth than the ones that we had no chance at really accurately understanding. When I was in third grade, uh, me and uh, my best friend at the time had two girls that we liked, and they kind of liked us. And something happened, and one of them said something mean or did something, didn't like one of us or something. I think it was, I think it was the one girl said she didn't like my best buddy. And we had already traded pictures. So, so I'm hurt. I'm hurt. I'm mad. So I did what, you know, any third grade boy would do. Right? I draw a mustache on her picture. So I draw this mustache on her picture. I give her a full beard. Mustache, full beard. And, uh, and so, you know, I don't remember how somehow, you know, slipping it to her or hiding it somewhere. Where she, I don't remember exactly what happened. So I'm mad and I'm hurt. And so what do I do? I hurt, and I hurt her, and I hurt her friend, and I felt bad, and then the teacher found out, and then I got in trouble and lost recess, and I felt even worse, and so, okay, so I'm doing stuff out of this stuff, right? I'm, th I'm third grade, whatever age that is, I, I don't remember, but so I'm just reacting. Um, I was a Christian at the time. And, but I didn't know, you know, I, anyway. So I'm hurt. I hurt. And it, it was a reaction out of something that hadn't yet been reprogrammed in me. Right? And, and I was a Christian. And what happened was it destroyed, you know, four relationships. Me with two girls and him with two girls. Destroyed four relationships. And if, if I would have, let's say, uh, had my mind reprogrammed and realized, oh, they, they said something mean, uh, let's, you know, and, and yet God would show me that, hey, it's okay, I love you, you're cool, you can forgive them and, and just forgive them. Maybe it would have saved, you know, probably would have saved the relationships and it would have been a different result, right? That's just a simple example of how we're living life. You know, I've I given my life to Christ. I'm a Christian. I know, that's great. That's awesome. But there's, there's still behaviors that you're having that are not reprogrammed yet. And it's causing cycles of pain. I've seen a lot of Christians, Christian marriages, end in divorce. It's not because um, it was they should never have gotten married. It was because this stuff here didn't get reprogrammed. And so we go through cycles of hurt and pain and offense and destruction. And we're acting out of this stuff instead of out of that stuff. And eventually, it causes so much pain that a divorce happens. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. But that's what happens. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about um, the four words that I associate with Christmas, love, joy, peace, and uh, hope. And joy... The word simcha in Hebrew, uh, what that message was is about that 
Joy in the Jewish understanding is actually related to us growing into our salvation. Growing out of this into a new way of living. And now all of a sudden, I forgive, I preserve friendships, and there is joy. This over here didn't bring me any joy at all. In fact, our relationships never recovered from third grade. That was it. That was it. We were never friends after that. You know, because I wasn't mature enough to, to do the right thing. And so joy comes from us growing into the image of Christ, our salvation, the joy of our salvation, the joy of coming out of that mess into the new identity in Christ where I can actually be loved and be secure enough to forgive and to love other people, right? I I can have my eyes opened to new patterns that are healthy. If you grew up in an angry home, you may have been programmed to act out your anger in, in hurtful ways, maybe yelling, screaming, cursing, saying bad things, maybe throwing things, maybe hitting. And so you grow up, and that's, well, that's what you do when you disagree, when you have an argument, when you have a conflict. That's what you do, right? But then you start to become saved, right? You decide, hey, wait a minute, maybe God's got a better way of how to handle conflict. So what do you do? You actually have to reprogram how you're going to react when you get hurt or when you get upset. You have to drill this into your heart. You have to let God set you free. You have to be like the Samaritan woman, right? Jesus said, I have something for you. If you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. And she found out who he was. She said, well, when the Messiah gets here, he's going to explain everything. He's like, that's me. That's me. And she drank. I believe uh, that she had a great life after that. I believe she got married one more time. And that was it for the rest of her life. Because she was no longer trying to find it from somebody else. She found it from him. Right? She was no longer looking for the perfect man. Because she found the perfect man. Right? And her soul was satisfied. And out of that, that probably healed some patterns, destructive patterns in her heart. And now she was able to love. So I was thinking about that. You know, we were created... We were created to be loved by God, and then our response, what happens is our response to love is to love back. And so then God says, okay, so Jesus comes along and says, now now that you're being filled with the love of God, now you release it to love one another. When we're not dependent on the love of God or, or that's not our source, okay, whether by sin or guilt or shame, or by some wrong thinking that, oh, you know, I've screwed up again, now God. And so then we start to get our eyes on this. What we start to do is the opposite. Instead of receiving the love of God and giving it, we begin to suck it from people around us. We begin to look for it from somewhere or other source. And our soul is aching, and we're reaching, and we're grabbing, and we're searching. And the answer is return to the Lord. Return to his love. So what, I want to um, close our service by letting you uh, have a conversation with Jesus. He's been talking to you, uh, but what is he saying? And in this series, we're going to try to equip one another to
to just take these steps of freedom. Celebrate Recovery is a great program to walk through some things if God is saying some things to you uh, because there is always hope. I want to encourage you, do not identify yourself with the past. That is not who you are. You are a new creation. But there does need to be some reprogramming. And that's where you need to be with some good people who care about you, who understand this big picture, who's not religious, judgmental, and focused on sin. They're focused on the sun. Like Jesus, he wasn't focused on the sin. He's focused on the solution, right? The solution. And that's what Celebrate Recovery does. That's what our life group leaders are to be doing, and as far as I know, are doing. It's a safe place for you to be who you are and to have love and to have truth and to go on this journey together. That's what this church is all about, right? Yeah, let's stand together and uh, let's just pray for each other. Thank you, Lord. Let me remind you as we pray of our verse for the week. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Lord, as we come to you this morning, and Jesus, thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for every one of us. You love each and every one of us. We all have a story. We all have uh, a trail of pain or hurt or misunderstandings. And Lord, as you have talked with us individually this morning, I pray now, Jesus, that you would help each one of us to open our hearts to continue the conversation with you in pursuing freedom and change through your help and through your love, not through self-help. That doesn't work at all. Lord, like that woman at the well, I just pray in our hearts this morning that we would all say, give me this water. Give me this water, this living water. Give me this water. Lord, may we open our hearts to receive your help from your Holy Spirit. And may your word come alive to us. And may we press into the opportunities around us to get this lasting change established in our lives through the life groups or Celebrate Recovery or fellowships. Lord, I just pray that you help us, each one here, to have renewed hope that anything is possible in you. You came to save us, which means change us, reform us, into your image. We thank you that you've forgiven us of our sins, but Lord, we also thank you came to set us free from them. And we pray that this church will be free. We will walk in freedom. We will continue to have layers and layers of more and more freedom in you and uh, that you will help us to be reprogrammed according to your higher truth than the, uh, the things that we have been contending with. Thank you, Lord. This morning, before we go, I want to pray for anyone here that just wants to give their life to Christ. Jesus said, uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he came to give us a new life. And it starts by us, you know, surrendering our hearts to him. So if you're here this morning, you just want to pray this prayer with me. Get right with God and make Jesus the Lord of your life. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I just want to agree with you. 
uh, lift it up high so I can just agree with you and celebrate with you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray this prayer together, okay? Let's just say, Jesus, thank you that you have come to give me life and to forgive me, to make me right again. Today, I call on your name. Jesus, save me. I declare with my heart that God raised you from the dead. And with my mouth, that you are Lord. You're my Lord. And I choose to serve you with my life. Fill me with this living water. Satisfy my soul. I need you. I thirst for you. My soul hungers for you. May I find my rest in you. Teach me how to live with you and abide with you and rely on you every day for everything. In your name I pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Lord, I just pray for each one here this morning. Whatever conversations you're having with our hearts, God, that we would be open and not closed off to what you want to do in our lives this year and in these next couple of weeks and months ahead. Lord, uh, change is always scary, but we just thank you that we can trust in you. We can trust in you. And your word is alive. And it's active. And it cuts right down into the deepest parts of who we are. And your spirit is more powerful than a title from the past, than a hurt from the past, than a habit that we have. Your, your, your word and your spirit are more powerful than, than hell, than darkness, than death, than brokenness, than bondage. And our hope is in you, Lord. Our trust is in you. Teach us. Teach us how to be free and to enjoy your freedom and to offer that love and that hope to those around us. May this church be alive in freedom, alive in your spirit, overflowing with living water. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just take a minute to sing this song. It's a powerful song. And let, let God just minister to you here for a few minutes before we go, okay? He's a way maker, a miracle worker. He will lead us and guide us. Yeah,